0: Warning. The following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier than thou know it alls that are anything but.
1: Hey everyone, this is Anime World Order. We are fresh back from Otakon. We are prepping for Anime Festival Orlando. This is episode 139. I am your host, Gerald Rathkolb, and with me as always... This is Daryl Surratt. And this is Clarissa. This is our Otakon sort of retrospective episode, as well as a review. And in this case, an extremely timely review. Possibly one of our most timely ever. We're actually going to be reviewing a movie that, as we record this, you can still see in theaters. That is Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F, or Resurrection of F. But anyway, some little things to get aside. Email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com. Check out our website at animeworldorder.com. Post on the website. We'd love to hear your comments, and we'd love to read your emails. Although... We will not be reading any emails this time because we have got a convention to talk about.
0: Yeah, before we actually get into the convention, I do just want to give some quick bookkeeping updates. I'll give the bad news first and then the good news. The bad news is that in show 131, we interviewed Robert Gibson, a longtime anime fan. He just passed away not too long ago. Very sad. It's unfortunate, but you know, we did have uh, his story all about the man. Part two reference to Fist of the North Star. Uh, I want to thank Tim Eldred for arranging us to get that interview. Go ahead and check out show number 131. Since uh, Robert Gibson was someone who was instrumental in many ways, he was there when anime fandom started in the United States. So very interesting guy to talk to. Real sad to see him go, but such is life. And the slightly brighter news is, you know, one door closes, another opens as uh, we have to uh, welcome the birth of Alexander Laser Fantastic Finnegan, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. Alexander Boruto Laser Fantastic Finnegan, the ninja uh, Consultant. A.k.a. Child. Alexander Sephiroth yes, Finnegan. Yes, that's correct. Aaron and Noah, formerly the Ninja Consultant Podcast, are now are breeding geeks.
1: We will now we will never, never see them again. Them again. Never see them, never hear from them. They will never be at conventions again. They will never watch anime again. It's
0: it's over. It's done. Just look at what happened to Joel. Just look at what is about to happen to Dave. They may deny it, but we all know what is actually going on. So anyway, congratulations to them. And so uh, with that out of the way, let's get to it.
1: Otacon 2015. This is the second to last year that the Otacon convention is going to be held in Baltimore before it moves to... Washington, D.C., and we will have to relearn everything all over again, where all the restaurants are, where all the bathrooms are, where the quickest way to any place is. What's interesting this year, there were 26,000 people in attendance. For those of you who have got fantastic memories, that number might seem a little bit strange to you, and it is. Why? Because the previous year, the estimate was 33,000 attendees. That means that Otakon this year had a 6,000 people drop.
0: Yeah, about six or 7,000 ad- fewer people than before.
1: Which is the largest drop I can think of in a major anime convention like that. And there are a lot of theories as to why this has happened. The theories range from the fact that there was a price hike. It is now $100 to attend Otakon. Anytime you want to go in there. The Oticon does not have single-day passes. If you go on Sunday at noon, it costs $100. If you go on Friday at 9 a.m., it costs $100. There's also the thought that maybe the Baltimore riots that happened about two months ago, as we record this, had something to do with it. Also, the idea that maybe they had no major guests or no major musical acts. We, of course, won't know the actual answer to this. This is just speculation on our part. What do you guys think? Well, for what I
0: saw, it was actually... A welcome reduction since I suppose the Baltimore <laughs> Convention Center, <Yeah. laughs> the capacity of it, even though it can supposedly hold however many people,
1: always... Something like 53,000 or uh, something. Yeah, is. I don't know how many yeah.
0: people that is really factoring into And you consider the skywalks, because those are usually the big choke <laughs> points of there. For me, I thought it was much less congested than in previous years. Plus, as I pointed out elsewhere to this podcast, whatever factors that cause that six or 7,000 people to stay home and not go to Oticon. They were not the people or the types of fans I should say that were inclined to go to live events, which is typically what we're doing at conventions. Because from where I sat, it looked like all the live events attendance was way up compared to previous years. As far as panels, as far as all the other like contests, yeah, that is- sort of thing. It seemed like those were much higher as far as people going to that. And I'm not sure if it's just two different demographics, like maybe as you said, if there's a crowd of people who just shows up for the musical acts and the rave DJs and that sort of thing, and maybe those people stayed home versus the people who show up for other stuff.
1: And I think that there's some truth to that because I do know that Oticon does see a major jump when there are significant musical acts. I believe when Lark and Seal was there. They saw a jump in attendance, and then I think Mm -hmm. they saw a small drop the next year. But I mean, we had our panel, The uh, Greatest Anime Openings, and that panel was full to capacity with hundreds of people waiting outside.
0: Yeah, what they did Um, was they actually put us in what's called the AMV Theater, and typically speaking, at conventions, each department has its own like separate world its own hierarchy and the amv people seem to be the most isolated as far as that they're the most autonomous so the fact that when you first got approved for this and you didn't see it on the panel schedule or like oh did it secretly get canceled on me but no they just decided hey it makes sense to put this in a amv theater sort of environment now normally when we hear amv theater we think like oh it's a big giant room Because AWA, the video art track as it's called, is a giant room that nobody (laughs) goes into or out of unless you are part of that world. It may as well be a convention unto itself once you step into that room. But here at Oticon, it was a normal-sized panel room. And so when we went to it, we saw there was like hundreds of people lined up to get in. And only a small amount of people could get in because they only do room clears if it's an 18-plus panel. So... We apologize to all the people who could not get in. We did post the full list on the website, AnimeWorldOrder.com. And one of our enterprising listeners actually put together a YouTube playlist of what we picked. So you can... Oh,
1: really? I, I didn't see that. That's great. We've done the Greatest Openings panel many times before. I think that was one of the best times that we've done it. And I want to give major props that AMV room, they have got the best setup that you could ever hope for for doing They panels. always and have I the best to... AV
0: setups in all those AMV rooms yes. because the people who run those have to be like on top of all that,
1: right? Mm-hmm. And Yeah, I want to throw it out to Oticon to say what they do in the AMV theater should be the default for every panel room. It is awesome how they've got it set up and it's not especially difficult. Effectively, it's just you've got your connections on the top and on the right or left or wherever you've got a screen that is mirroring what the projector is showing and it's a simple confidence
0: monitor basically we've only ever seen that a few times over all the years we've been doing conventions i know sometimes at awa they've got them in that ballroom but yeah typically usually i always have to like train my neck over to make sure that people are seeing the right thing and wondering like hey are the subtitles cut off that kind of thing but No, this was great.
1: Yeah, really great job. I thought we all did a great job at that panel. Greatest anime... But but Gerald, no stars
0: NS. (laughs) Why wasn't the whole panel Sunrise Robot Show openings, man?
1: Yeah, I I mean, that is a panel that we could do, like, three hours and not even blink. Like, it's a panel that, it's tough because we have to cut out, you know, our favorite openings in favor of some newer stuff and such. But I'm glad we got to do it, and I hope we get to do it again.
0: Yeah, this year we actually did it differently because we preset the list ahead of time completely because normally we're just doing it on the fly as we see fit and we just figured oh well it's oticon they're gonna really scrutinize us if we inadvertently stick too much to one thing so we really focused on like genre mix-ups and old plus new and balancing all that stuff so yeah a lot of my favorites didn't make it in there but it's that
1: way all the time i mean i really wonder if people noticed because um I don't know if we would have done it any differently if we had done it on the fly. But yeah, I thought it went very well. My panel that I did was anime and American media. And the panel room that I was in, it did not fill up to capacity, but I would say it was about 80 or 90% full. So I'm happy with that. Un- Tell people about that one. Unfortunately, though, um, panel room five is not necessarily the best panel room in order to show video clips. Mm. Um The echo in that room caused a lot of my clips that I'm pretty sure people just had no clue what anybody was saying. Unfortunately, I think a lot of that was just kind of cut short. People talking, the echo is so bad, there's uh, windows in the back that I guess reverberate part of it. The bass is turned up very, 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 very loudly. So that is definitely a panel room made more for discussion panels, I think.
0: Yeah, even though they do have the right sort of setup, like they don't just have one screen, they've got two screens as far as projector screens on each side of the panel room, which is great because it makes it much easier to see. I wish more conventions that were like mid-sized to larger would start doing this because... Even at some of the conventions that we go to, most of them, I would say, they have one screen off in one corner. And you have seats that are arranged such that if you're sitting in the back, you can't see that thing. And Oticon even was guilty of this for some of the panel rooms as well. But panel five, as far as the layout of it, is great. It's just the problem is that stuff doesn't work as well as I would like it to. Like the right side projector in particular... There was like this weird vertical hold, like,
1: I don't know how to explain it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A <laughs> yeah, that I think was a refresh issue of some sort. And it happened on every single panel I went to in there. Like, every
0: panel, all days of the convention, it never got fixed.
1: Like, you guys saw oh. it when we went to the Reverse Thieves panel on sports anime, right?
0: They had both their panels in that same room, if I'm not mistaken. New anime for older fans, as well as I Hate Sports, mm-hmm. a sports anime panel. We went to both of them. And. They had that issue as far as the screens, but it's, again, it's not their computer. It's nothing on their end. It's entirely that room. Mm. That was sort of a recurring theme for a lot of the panels was, I don't know if it's a question of when you're a con that size, you kind of buy the same equipment and use it forever because you own it. But let's say at MAPA's panel, which was a Friday morning panel, it's typically like always there. And historically, we always talk about like, oh man, nobody goes to see the Japanese guests at Otacon. It sucks and more people should go. This year, everybody heard our wish because these panels were pretty damn well attended. Like, I was surprised that the MAPA panel was full and that even some of the other, like, more esoteric academic panels were also full. I couldn't get in to a lot of these things because I was like, oh, no one's going to care about 1970s anime at 9 a.m. Wrong. Nope. Full. Full. Couldn't get in. Never saw it. And so this year, I guess, Tons of people now knew, I guess, about Masaru Mariyama and the guys at MAPA. and I think a lot of that is due to Shirabako, the anime that we reviewed in show number 137, mm-hmm. which was all about like this anime about making anime, and Masaru Mariyama or a cartoon version of him is a significant character in that, and so everyone showed up to see this guy and asked, you know, hey, what's the deal with that? How right. how real is it? And even in for them, even for those guys, the projector in that room the red levels were wrong. And so when they would play like their trailers for things that are coming out or things that are out now, it looked wrong. And at one point, some of them, the color palette of it, like the actual work itself was sort of minimalist. And then when you factor in the fact that, oh, it doesn't show red, it looks like you're mostly looking at a white screen. And they had to sort of apologize for that. And I was just surprised to see that a recurring theme in a lot of the rooms there. But uh, I guess that's entirely a money issue right
1: i don't know i don't know how their tech situation works typically i thought a lot of these conventions rent their equipment and would have you know a day or so to calibrate it all but again it's hard for me to necessarily criticize just because i don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes but i do feel like someone there needs to say okay let's just run a calibration on this
0: Or if you, you know, invariably something's going to fail during the con. There's nothing anyone can do about that. Things always happen. I don't know what the mechanisms are. There's always staff in the rooms and they've all got walkie talkies. And I know they must be radioing into some central ops location to say, hey, there's an issue here. Let's get it resolved. I don't know what the mechanisms are for turning that around. And, you know, some of them were fixed the next day. Some of them, you know, I figured fix it within a few hours. But I guess I have no visibility on any of that. I just know, um, it didn't seem to adversely affect a lot of people as far as showing up to events. To their credit, this year they actually had end of line signs or this thing is closed signs so that you would know without having to line up for a long amount of time. Hey, am I even going to get in? They've
1: this? had that before, but not a, to such a great degree. And, uh, yeah. Clarissa, you went to an, an interesting academic panel that I couldn't go to because it was at the same time as my panel. Like, how did that one go?
2: Yeah, it was good. I was surprised cuz I like I didn't actually catch the name of the prisoner before so I didn't realize that it was actually um Fujimoto Yukari which is really cool that I actually get to see her talk. And who is she? She's a really well-known academic from Japan. So she does a lot of stuff about like shojo manga mm. and stuff like that. So the panel was kind of like an overview of erotic and sexual like works created for women. So she talked a lot more about ladies manga mm-hmm. in this one than about BL stuff. So it was interesting. I think that most of the information, it was kind of an overview. So if you spend a lot of time already looking into the subject, there probably wasn't a lot of new information, but it was still really interesting.
1: See, I think that's really neat that they had an actual real-deal academic doing a real-deal academic panel there. Yeah. I mean, there's fakers like me who I can't pretend (laughs) I do. I I definitely don't do academic panels. I just do panels on subjects I think are interesting, and I try to make them.
2: Sure. And I think that's what most people do, and that's what most people are looking for at a convention like that.
1: Right. But I think that that's really neat. I mean, I don't think she was a guest at the convention. I think she was just an attendee, right? No, she was a featured panel. She was? Okay. Yeah. My mistake. What I've always heard was that the West Coast cons always had better guests and the East Coast cons always had better panels. And there's just kind of a vast generalization of anime conventions. Mm-hmm. But I've never had really bad overall panel experience at Oticon and I'm and that's pretty neat that they had things like that right. going
2: on. Yeah, well I think Oticon being so large, like has that benefit of they can be really selective about who they pick and they have enough people applying that i think they can probably weed out a lot of the really trash yeah. panels yeah Whereas, I mean, like a lot of these smaller places they kind of need whoever <laughs> will sign yeah, it's up just
0: whatever whoever applies you get mm-hmm. in sort of thing
1: yeah i love how virtually all the big cons have said no more ask an anything panel you are not allowed to get up there and ask a Italia, ask a anything sort of panels because those panels typically just don't go well. Um, well,
0: I, I think they go well for the person who does them because they get to have their extended cosplay skit. But it seems like there's no like quality filter on any of that stuff. I still see them on schedules for like cons. I just never, ever go to it. But yeah, more and more conventions we see, they just say, we're rejecting these outright. And I am glad for that.
1: No <laughs> because oh yeah, I think they're mostly trash. Now, I do have one issue with the panels. It's not a major gripe, but one of the panels the one of I did two panels this year, one with you guys and just anime and American media and Western media panel. One of the issues that I had was I wasn't sure exactly what the panel policy was on things like bad language, on things like violence. The panel policy on their website is very vague. And so I went to the panelist op, and I asked them straight, what is your policy? Do you have a strict policy? And all they said was, keep in mind that there are young people in the room. That's exactly what I heard. And And, and so yeah, and right
0: now, when you go to the application thing, it says, if you think it should be 18+, plus, err on the side of caution and say yes, typically my rationale is, all right, where did this thing show, whether it was an anime or whether it's like some cases you have to show like a live action clip. You say like, okay, well, was this something that was rated R? Was this something that was, you know, late night and only on cable that you had to pay for? Yes or no? And so that's sort of my interpretation. And it turns out that that interpretation may or may not be right.
1: See, Otakon is the type of convention. And this has happened to you, Daryl, where if they see something they don't like during the panel, they will shut you down right there. Mm. And. This is the first year that I've had my panels approved in a long time. I don't know if I was just lucky or if I was in some sort of secret panelist jail or whatever. <laughs> it could just be luck of the draw. But I didn't really want to get shut down. But I also wanted this panel to be accessible to as many people as possible because I've never seen a panel like it done. And I feel like it had some important issues to talk about. A lot of the rationale in a lot of conventions is effectively as long as there is no nudity, then you're fine. As long as there's no nudity or sex, whatever, just show what you want. And some of them have a policy of maybe make it PG-13. And by the way, PG-13 has been so pushed so far that... Right, the state of a modern PG-13
0: is pretty out there nowadays. Like, effectively, you can
1: show anything that a rated R movie has except breasts. Or blood. Or blood, but you can even show to to some degrees blood. So I had a couple of clips that dropped some F-bombs. And my feeling was... In a PG-13 movie, you can do that. You can do that. You can drop some F-bombs. I think you're allowed two or something like that. I thought it was only one, but... I think it's extended to two. I feel like I've seen it more. But you're right. If they had said, like, well, this is our very strict policy. This is what you can show. Right. Then I would have adhered to that. I even asked Charles Dunbar, what is your policy? And he says, well, I allow a couple of shits and one F-bomb or two Mm F-bombs. And that's my limit. Yeah,
2: I mean, for me, like, I usually assume to be careful with profanity and sexual stuff, like nudity and things like that, just because that seems to be the things that people would get most likely to complain about. The thing that
0: always confuses me is that the content guidelines, because the departments are, like I said, each sort of autonomous, Mm -hmm. the video programming content guidelines are very different from the panel content guidelines. So I, for example... I saw in the mornings in the video rooms they were showing like Pinku violence films, the classic ones yeah, with... and no i d check or anything, and those are far more usually you know lurid than yeah anything that and... most people would show in a non eighteen plus setting
1: yeah, so when when my panel started, I'm incredibly nervous here because I don't want to have this room full of people just suddenly have my panel stop and just have me left with this awkward situation. And so I tried to, you know, bleep out with the mute button, manually mute a couple of words in my panel, and I chose not to even show a clip or two. And my panel had a couple of clips that, while had no nudity in it, referenced things like jerking off. There was this one whole segment where I tried to talk about, like, this is how we're viewed as anime fans, and there's a lot of clips of people saying you're jerking off to anime or you're Mm. jerking off to, to comics. And... The guy in the panelist room was looking at me and had his, his foot like on the, on the stage. And I felt like I was on the edge of being shut down. Again, I don't know what the policy is. I wish they would have given me a more clear policy. If I felt like this was really pushing the 18 plus panel thing, I would have probably submitted it as 18 plus. But because to me, like now that I've
0: looked over your panel, because I wasn't able to go to it because there were multiple things scheduled opposite. And so now that I've looked through what you showed, like I don't really see a lot of particularly objectionable content in the panel. There is some language. And I think, you know, the thing you thought that was like the most objectionable thing that you had had no nudity issues or anything like that. It was basically a made for TV movie. It wasn't like an HBO movie or anything like that. It was like, I don't know, Lifetime or some garbage. Which which one,
1: which clip was that, if you can remind me? The Columbine dramatization. Oh, yeah, that was just a horrible movie. And I cut that one short because there was a swastika in that. And I was afraid... Except the the point of the swastika is like, that's the whole point of the the, scene. The point of the scene is to to to
0: show that they're portraying like these violent Aryan neo-Nazis as people who also watch cartoons and then go and shoot people.
1: Yes, that is the point of that clip. And... I'm afraid that this might that if not you depict the swastika on the screen. Yeah, I'm afraid if I show the swastika on screen, someone will shut me down as being like depiction of racist material you have to be. yeah shut down. you
0: can only do that in a cosplay shoot,
1: and so I'm <laughs> boom. <laughs> Yeah, And so I get very worried about this because, again, I don't want to offend anybody, but I also don't feel like this is adult content. I feel like I'm actually trying to say something important with this panel, but it would be nice. No, you
0: didn't get shut down. I didn't get shut down.
1: I tried to self-censor myself, and I was on the edge of it, I feel like, and apparently Carl Horn was there and saw the guy, too, and the guy was looking very worried, and I feel like he was counting off strikes in his head. Okay, that was strike one, that was strike two, and so towards the end of the panel, I was just trying to, like, be very careful, like... I mean, one of the most objectionable clips I had there was from a Madonna music video uh, concert Mm. where I had the
0: overfiend one right?
1: where it was overfiend where I actually blanked out the footage. I just turned it black and I said, now in this scene, there is a rape scene montage from Legend of the Overfiend. I was wondering, like, does me just saying the word rape is that's going to get me in trouble? I don't know, because, again, I'm trying to make a point here. With this. Um, and
0: let's go to the other side of that, because it was my opinion that there were a lot of 18-plus panels that should not have been 18-plus panels. I think there was a general critique of the convention this year was that after a certain time, there was almost no content that if you didn't have the wristband, you could go to. A lot of the things were just like... You know, oh, everything is 18 plus at this point, And then you go in there and it's really need to be an 18 plus panel. Yeah, the
1: three of us went to a panel and I'm trying to remember the exact name of the panel. I believe it was the Disappearance of Women.
0: OK, I know the one you're talking about. Oh, yeah, all yeah. Three,
1: yeah, all three of us were there. This was considered an 18 plus panel. This panel started at one in the morning. Yeah. Now, I mean, I guess, Clarissa, you're the academic here. What did you think of it?
0: I didn't like the panel. I'll say that first,
2: Um. <laughs> but
1: I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute.
2: I thought it was interesting. Like, I think that the stuff that they're talking about is definitely a thing and relevant. I know they tried to preface and say, like, we're not talking about this as things that happen in a specific order, but I know people kept getting confused about Mm -hmm. that. So I don't know if there's a different way they could have arranged it. I mean, they really did explain that's not what we mean by putting them like this, but.
1: Right. These people I believe were academics that actually published their thesis, I believe, in a book form. Yeah, they self
0: one of those self publishing. Here's the issue that I sort of had with it. They had no technical hiccups. They all knew exactly what they wanted to say. But for one, this was marked as an eighteen plus panel. They didn't curse there was no nudity. There was no right. Sex I don't at know all.
2: why. Like my only assumption is that the panel people saw that it had something to do with like yaoi or BL. Right. And
1: so just and made they said, it "Oh, that's got to be
0: eighteen plus." Yeah. But but of course, the panel that you went to was not eighteen plus. And the, yeah, you know, that was seemed Fujimoto. far more straight so, up. That was one area of it. But really, I think the thing that sort of got me about it was to tie into Gerald's panel about the U.S. media thing. These panelists, obviously, this was like a thing that they wrote about for school or something to that effect. And despite the fact that they said like, oh, I've been going to this convention for 15 years, for whatever reason, all the anime examples they used were decades old. Like the newest one was like eight years ago. And by contrast, they also decided to bring up Western live action media examples. And all that stuff was current to this day. And so that Mm. to me was like, all right, these people are not so much following the anime scene anymore so much as other things, which is fine. But the thing is, is that if your premise is that, you know, women are disappearing in in media and you don't use examples from the modern day of what's popular now, that's hard to prove. Because if you look at the very popular anime titles of today... A lot of them actually are like, there are no guys in the show. <laughs> like, what's the big show? Love Live. What's the big show? Like, you know, Concoli, that's not a, a show just yet. But like Sound Euphorium, these are shows that are mega popular that go in the opposite direction. And they could explain that. There is a definite contextualization for that. They just didn't give it. Right, because I then, think
2: what they're talking about is either like
1: things for girls right. that are that girls don't women. want to watch girls other girls but they didn't media.
0: actually say that right. i can infer it i know what they're talking yeah. about but that wasn't stated in the panel and then i also i also would have liked there to be some more precision in making the points they presented yeah I, I mean it wasn't a concern to the crowd that was there because they were preaching to the choir it's 1 a.m friday everyone who's there is already on board with this but like let's say you're an academic And you present yourself as like, here's my book and I'm an academic. And you just say this or on high school host club is great, but it's problematic. End of statement. That's suitable, concise for like a a social media statement amongst like the like minded individuals. But if you're giving an academic style lecture, I think they should clarify a little more what they mean by that for people who don't already know the lingo. Mm -hmm. And I told this to the panelists directly. This isn't like me talking behind their back. I've said this to them and they they responded to it. And they said, thanks for the feedback. And we'll do it again next time. And I said, here's what I'd like to see the next time. I think you can do it. They took it the right way. It wasn't like a me saying, you fucking suck. Get out your no, it wasn't <laughs> no. like that. But I think the real issue with that is that it never should have been an 18 plus panel. And it shouldn't have been a lecture at one in the morning. That's on the con, really, not the people presenting it. At least that's my thought on like any sort of academic style thing is that you probably shouldn't schedule it
1: after midnight. I think it would just be good if, and I'm sure that there are reasons that they don't want to do this. Maybe it's the FCC doesn't have like very specifically laid out, like you can show this and this and this and say this and this and this. And the FCC doesn't do that because then people, they feel like people will find ways to get around that. Maybe Oticon is the same way in that they don't want to say like, you can say fuck exactly once. You can say shit three times, no nudity. And you cannot show gore where organs are seen. Then, and.
0: Yeah. Cause there was actually a very interesting panel that was marked 18 plus and probably should have been, but this was about like the med students talking about, you know, medical science and stuff in anime. And one of the things were like, Hey, we're. With regards to, like, you know, anatomy and stuff like that, the surgery scenes in Blackjack or what have you, like, that's their sort of deal, which isn't normally the type of thing you'd think of as an 18-plus panel, is the med student talking about, like, how anime is portrayed. But that was on here this year.
1: It's interesting, because um, normally I wouldn't think of, like, surgery footage as being 18-plus. I would say it comes with a warning.
0: Yeah, um, like, cause but, to me, that is something that could air on TV and it used to in the past. And it, they but, would just
1: aired with a warning saying, you know, this, this contains, you know, sur- footage of surgery, like be ruined. Right.
0: Um, and I think the issue here is that there's just a binary state, 18 plus only or all audiences. Right. And maybe there needs to be like an intermediate Part of that, like some of the smaller conventions that we go to, and even like AWA and things like that, they'll make like a little bit of leeway and just say like, okay, well, we'll schedule some of these things later in the evening or at night. They're not and even though they're not eighteen. In, yeah, they're
1: not eighteen plus, but you can do more.
0: Yeah, they're just so. like a audience of people that's more liable to actually be at the con and be awake at the time. Like maybe that sort of teen to older teen audience, because really eighteen plus. If you have to line up and that was an issue for some people this year was the wristbands. I had no issue with it. But if you have to line up and present ID and get a wristband and there is to be a check, there's a much stronger like expectation from the crowd Mm -hmm. for doing that sort of things. And a lot of times like they want to see. Something that justified their standing in line for an hour and change to get in. Well,
1: unfortunately, I went to the history of hentai panel, which, which is the exact same name as the panel that you do, do (laughs) but it wasn't your panel. I do a history of hentai panel. I've actually done it. I believe, Clarissa, you've been on the panel at some point. Mm -hmm. And the panel, as you, I think you guys have seen is definitely deserves 18 plus, but it is not, you know, a panel that's meant to be like super sexy. It's very much like this is what came out in the 60s and in the 70s, and, you know, this is where things progressed from here. And these guys did—I had to go to part of this panel because I had to see, like, who these guys were who were taking my thing. Uh, They did a pretty terrible job, I thought. It was very much uh, three bros on stage just cracking jokes about stuff.
0: What was the history component of it?
1: They started out with Shunga way back when, and then they skipped right to the 80s.
0: Oh, well, nothing happened in between nothing, that. Nothing
1: happened in between the, you know, 250 years or something. Osamu Tezuka didn't come out with, you know, his adult movies in the 60s and 70s, and that never happened. So,
0: no, he just created Astro Boy. Everyone knows yeah,
1: that. Yeah, so that kind of pissed me off, which is why I feel like maybe I should do the History of Hentai again panel. I mean, I haven't done it for a while because it's not a panel that changes a whole lot. It's, it's history. It's history. I mean, I can get different clips. I can maybe go into some more depth, but... I want to make panels that my friends, like you guys, will attend. And I don't want to bore you guys with footage that you might have seen already. And there's not a lot I can say, like, well, this is, I can, you know, maybe say, like, well, we're now in a different, like, era of hentai-like right now. But before then, history doesn't change a whole lot, especially not recent history.
0: Unless you're rewriting history to suit your own needs. But this is an interesting point that you bring up. One of the common reasons why people sometimes, especially here in Florida, they don't want you to do the panel, is that it's not enough of a crowd-pleaser.
1: Yeah. Right? It, I think it's people not, come It's in... not
0: raunchy enough. People want their 18-plus money's worth. How was the crowd reacting to these guys, you know, doing their shtick? Th- they versus... were laughing a
1: lot, but I find it to be tremendously easy to make a group of nerds like that laugh. But, yeah, my panel is very much more... I, it is not academic. It is absolutely not academic because I am not an academic. I don't have... The credentials right, that, like, there's a
0: fine line between, like, okay, this has some factual educational yes. content in it versus I am trying to teach you. Yeah, like, right? I do
1: not have the credentials that Clarissa has, for example. Like, you've got a master's degree in this stuff and have done a thesis on this. This is just meant to be a panel that just you know, got some factual, inter- interesting information. So, I guess it's that weird line of, I don't show the super nasty stuff, like, straight up. It's more just this, like, weird, obtuse stuff from the 60s and 70s moving into the 80s and 90s. Yeah, but I stopped doing it at... I shouldn't say I stopped doing it. They stopped letting me do it at Florida conventions because it's very hard for me to compete with a panel where they just show hentai and have girls grind on you. And I'm not going to do a panel like that.
0: So, yeah, that panel was basically a bust, but
1: it was, of course, full. And It wasn't full. It was the largest panel room, and it was about 40% full. Yeah, that's why I left and went to your guys' disappearing women panel, since that was... Far more interesting, I thought.
0: It was a better panel, at least as far as the people knowing what they're talking about and, you know, the discussions. And I think with a little bit of refinement, I think it would be a lot more focused and relevant to, like, what's going on uh, now. And And I think a part of it was just if you're a scholar, how much time do you have to watch new stuff anyway? So I think that's obviously always a factor. And as a a lot of those high academic people, right? So you weren't actually the only one who had your shit stolen from you panel wise, Gerald, because I uh, did not do any panels this year. Uh, because on my rationale was, you know what? I don't have enough new material to bring this panel back. Like I would always sort of ask myself the same questions that you would ask. Like, Hey, if my friends go to this, they don't want to see me do the exact same panel over and over and over again. Right. Right. So um, we've seen
1: what happens to people who do the same panel for nine or 10 years. Right. (laughs) And
0: so they either wise up or they just get bored with conventions entirely. I didn't want to be that guy. And so I was like, All right, well, as popular as anime's craziest deaths panel at Otakon is. I just looked at the past year and change and said, I don't have enough new material. I maybe only have 25% new material, or I'm trying to get like a third or a half new material, even though that may be kind of unwise thinking on my part, because the attrition rate of anime fans is such that every two years, you kind of have a whole new audience anyway, but that's still how I'm thinking because I'm the one doing the panel. So I didn't put in for any panels at Otakon. And so In its place, there was, you know, violent Japanimations from Japan, the panel, as done by two folks who uh, I kind of know, like I'm acquainted with them. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll go to this panel. I'll see how they do it. And they basically took more or less shows that were all like the same ones that I would run and show more or less the same clips that I would pick. Only they would do much, much more. Like for me, when I do the panel, the clips are very short like i've picked them and they're like a minute two minutes at most and i'm picking them with a rationale behind it like what am i trying to elicit from the audience what's the reaction i'm going for what's the tone of this thing supposed to be and i think what they just kind of did was they took things and sort of made like the abridged series of it like here's the whole work and i'm going to compress it down to be 10 minutes long and people don't know what to think when you do that because some scenes are funny and some scenes are not funny at all and what are you trying to portray? And I don't think they thought about that. And when I asked them about it afterwards, they did not think about that. <laughs> so I did see a couple of people just got up and left. Cause like, Oh my God, this is not at all what I was expecting it to be based on a title. Like the title, violent Japan animations from Japan, the term Japanimation alone, the usage of that word in 2015 suggests like some sort of humorous like, irony level to it. Like you're trying to make something be like kind of silly. And you probably don't want to show like things that are just like not like a jubilant way of somebody getting killed in your panel, but maybe I'm overthinking it, but I think I'm not overthinking it at all. Anyway, so yeah, that was another one where I was like, okay, well, maybe I should just do the same little shit for another year and not be too hard on myself, but we'll see how it goes.
1: On that subject, on, you know, other panels, there were these guest panels that were held. I didn't go to any of these because uh I guess I was was busy at the time or for whatever reason. I, I did go to the Masar Mariyama ones and a couple of others. But there were some of these panels that just had, say, a director in the title. For example, the director of Cute High Earth Defense Club Love was there. This guy has got an enormous history. He's worked on like Photons and a lot of Gundam series. You're talking about Shinji Takamatsu? Shinji Takamatsu. And he has an enormous history with anime. Very, very interesting. And people were there who had not seen necessarily cute high earth defense club love uh,
0: they showed up to the event on the schedule it was called shinji takamatsu
1: Q and A. yeah then people would stand up and want to ask him about well you know you worked on zeta gundam can you tell us about this and then they would say uh this is only questions about cute high earth defense club love and everyone is just sort of shut down
0: Well, a lot of people just left
1: a lot of people just left because this is a very different sort of show than any other show that he's ever done so if you, I mean, It's not to say it's
0: bad. It's actually pretty damn funny. And I think a future GME anime fun time may be about that. But the point is, is that this is one of Pony Canyon's first years as far as being a player in the American anime industry side of things. And I think a recurring issue when you're seeing these Japanese guests at conventions is there's a lot of desire to control the media or to control the event the way they would a Japanese style event.
1: Yeah, that doesn't work here.
0: Yeah, you can't do that.
1: Don't try to do that here. We're not just going to delete tweets or delete news articles because you said something you shouldn't have at a panel. You need to be a bit more careful about this stuff.
0: Yeah, and at Pony Canyon, I think the issue there was, okay, we understand some of these Japanese guests are here on behalf of you. You want to promote your thing. If you do that, you got to do two things. One, put in the title, this is the cute high earth defense club love Showing and Q and A. It doesn't matter if you have it in the description. No one's reading the description. Just put it in the title. And then you have to have a separate thing that's like a general Q and A for ask him anything. That's how you make everybody happy in that scenario because this guy is never probably going to be in America ever again. Or if he is, who knows when that would be. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan who's been a fan of the guy for however much time and you want to ask him about this thing, but it's just not the current thing that he's there to promote, well, then you're screwed. Yeah. And sucks.
1: Yeah. It was a big letdown, and this happened. Pony Canyon has got a lot of things to learn. I feel if they don't change the way that they act, if they are still there in two years, I will be shocked. Because they are taking a very typical Japanese approach to things, which is, we are right, you are wrong, pay our prices, do things our way. And everybody who tries to do that fails pretty quickly.
0: Except for Aniplex, because they understand... Some extra things that people aren't taking into account.
1: Uh, also, Anaplex, I believe the American branch is run by Americans. Or at least they've got some people there who maybe understand the American market a bit more. So what other guests did
0: you guys go and see? Because I feel bad now that I did not go to see Romy Park.
1: I didn't go see Romy Park either.
0: Normally, whenever there's the voice actor guest, I'm like, okay, these things are all the same. There's always gonna be some person who's asking them, how do you become a voice actor? There's always gonna be some yokel who tries to ask a question in Japanese and butchers the fuck out of it. And so I didn't bother to go. But this was the year I should have gone. Yeah. Because everybody I know went and they're like, Romy Park is the greatest guest as far as having like these outlandish stories to tell. And now she's like really energetic and into things and not in like that fake dub voice actor sort of way, but definitely like enthusiastic about stuff. A lot of people didn't know that she was the dub voice of Finn in Adventure Time in the Japanese version. And she's like a huge fan of that. And then, uh, of course, the big highlight for me was, you know, all these testimonials about her working with Yoshiki Tomino, which is always like this recurring theme. Whenever there's a guest who worked on Gundam or anything, we always have to ask them, so what's the deal with Yoshiki Yeah, right, right. yeah
1: it's very and important.
0: And every single time, the responses are all the legends are true. It's <laughs> yeah. never... Oh, you know, this is overhyped, yeah. or oh, that's He's really exact- just a no.
2: normal guy. No, it's all
0: always- No, no, no that, never. You never yeah. hear that. Kay. It's always Yoshiki Tomino is crazy. <laughs> we will, we will... I'm afraid of Yoshiki Tomino. <laughs> that guy will fly off the handle, and, and he's totally nuts. We will
1: either post the Shinji Takematsu interview on here, or it will be in Otaku USA, whichever place it'll go.
0: I did transcribe it and submit it for Otaku USA. So the Shinji Takematsu one. We may not post that one up here, but I think we have a couple other ones that I thought were pretty good. We, uh, we got to talk to some of the guys who, um, were working on the Garo animation as well as the original. But, but my, my um, point of bringing Toku that Satsu up is Show. that he said
1: the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. He said the exact same thing about Tomino because he also had to work with him on all the universal century Gundam yes. type stuff. But yeah, she was like giving all these stories because Romy Park, for those who don't know, she was the lead character in turn A Gundam, a lore on Seahawk. And so
1: she's kind of the go-to girl for like, tough girls one of the right, go-to like vo-
0: Airmaster yes. she was talking about like when she was doing the voice for that she passed out cuz of the screaming yeah and you know that sort like of thing and so right now she's famous for kill a kill being a ragio
1: really awesome voice actress but the thing is like you said voice actor and actress interviews are almost useless to go to because 99% of the time all they say is well all the characters i love all the characters are my favorite uh, i just went there i worked really hard and that's literally like every voice actor panel you've ever heard
0: yeah. And uh, this was the 1% of the time that it was. Yeah. It's unfortunate for me there. And uh, maybe um, Romy
1: Park will have some very interesting stories when she retires because she is, in fact, what, second or third generation Korean Japanese?
0: A lot yeah. of people were freaking out that that was the very first question people asked her about. What's it like being Korean in, in Japan? People are like, oh, my God, you can't ask her that. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's the first thing I would ask Th- this her. is and she answered it. Yeah, She was fine with it's it. It's fucking
1: America. This is not like... we have got to be realistic with us. Anyway, what other points about Otakon are on your guys' minds for this year?
0: I think one of the issues that was on my mind was the fact that I went to the dealer's room and hit up Eddie Joestar, aka Ed Chavez, who was dressed up as Joseph Joestar, and I missed it, but they had their table set up right in the front, and Disco was there also. I'm selling out a robot carnival on Friday. I think I took the second to last one, and you took the last one, and then everyone else
1: was screwed. Yeah, something like that. Um,
0: and then I didn't have any money to buy anything else.
1: How about you, Clarissa? What stands out for you?
2: It was really nice to get to see Carl Horn again, because I haven't seen him for a little while. Um, yeah, he has
1: not been on the East Coast for many years. This is his first Oticon since 2003? Something yeah. like that?
2: If I think about it, it definitely did seem a little bit like there was a little more elbow room, I guess, with the reduction. But for the most part, it was kind of the same. Oticon's always a lot of fun. The only thing that always kind of sucks is some of these conventions on the East Coast up north are, like, the only place I get to see, like, the folks who live in New York and whatnot... But there's not that much time at a convention to really hang out because everybody's got panels and interviews and...
0: Right. There's so many people you know, and they're all in the same place, but you don't really have too much time to hang out with very many of them because everyone has either got their own thing to run or their own thing to cover or are going to get food or whatever. Mm. So you only really see people for like a minute or two, and then it's like, okay, we'll see you, and then you never see them again. Yeah. And then you say like, oh, the reason I'm here at the con is to see these people. Right.
1: (laughs) Right. For me, oh. I it was nice meeting people when I could meet them. It would be nice if I could get a bit more firm convention policy. Maybe if I do that panel again, I might just submit it as eighteen plus and just go all out on it. Mm-hmm. Also, don't ever go to the Tapas place; it's terrible. Um, <laughs> it oh was God, yeah, that was awful. Anyway, that was a do I go to Nando's. Was... Yeah, go to Nando's. Well,
2: well at,
0: at, in D.C., there's both Nando's and Bojangles. Well, we Ooh. have Bojangles here. We don't yeah, have Nando's. Yeah, I'm just Nando's. saying you're going to have to pick between them alternate days of the convention or something like that. Or you may just have to say, like, like you said, it's local to your city, so you can just go and get your either fried chicken or grilled chicken as needed. Well,
1: next year might be the last year we can get pit beef as well, so we gotta, we got to try for that. But... That's
0: correct. Another thing I noticed from going there. This was a thing I always like to check out the Artist Alley, because that's sort of like to me is the canary in the coal mine as far as what's hot and what's not. I was surprised that I wasn't seeing more stuff from this year in the Artist Alley. When I went into the art auction area of the Artist Alley, it's really telling that there's only to this day a very short number of anime that people really, truly care about. And almost all of it is stuff from the 90s. When you go in there, you see a lot of people still carrying the torch for Pokemon, for Dragon Ball, for Sailor Moon, to a lesser extent now, Cowboy Bebop, because a lot of people at this point have never seen it. And you just go on down the list, and it's like, how much of this is just because this is what they were watching as they were kids, and now they've grown older, they... Either are only watching like the new Dragon Ball, which we'll get into in a minute, or the new Pokemon or the new Sailor Moon. I'm sorry, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That to me was telling, especially because a lot of the video game stuff and the Western media stuff is pretty current. I always wonder, like, how does anime fit into this? Like, I was surprised, like there was very little blood blockade battlefront. And I was like, oh, I thought this was the hot show of the year. And I didn't see like hardly any costumes or fan art of it. And to be fair, I'm not the most observant when it comes to costumes. But as far as that sort of thing in like a stationary environment, like, I was like, oh, there's almost none of it. Like, you wouldn't know of what are the shows that are airing in 2015 in the artist's alley.
1: Well, if you, um, if you saw that, you would think that the most popular anime was Steven Universe
0: correct Um, that was basically the punchline is that that in terms of costumes in terms of fan art in terms of everything steven universe is the thing that's the hot thing at the anime convention Yeah, which is funny because nothing against that because it's a good show and people who watch it are definitely fans of anime because we know some of them but as far as the anime fan engagement Mm -hmm. it's an interesting conundrum to deal with
2: yeah i mean i think like some of it may be that with anime like There's so much kind of, like, spread. Because, like, there's definitely some things that I see. For example, like, sports shows. It's, like, spread out because, like, I see haiku stuff. And I see Yawapeta stuff. And I see, like, Kuroko stuff. But the audience seems to be kind of split between those. So
0: Right, they only have time to watch one. Right.
2: So like only yeah. there's not like one that's like overwhelmingly like the entirety of the artist alley. some people do this one and some people do that one and some people do the other one. I'm definitely seeing more Jojo's now with the anime.
1: Oh yeah, a lot more. Which is yeah, there was a lot which is more. great. Twenty years too late, I think, but yes, I'm glad that yeah, I'm hey, getting it's
2: Yeah, I mean it's good still. It'll be interesting to see out of the stuff that only started recently what we'll be seeing. Like I'm wondering if we're gonna see like a bunch of gangster stuff like yeah maybe since in the that was, so yeah, I was, so I was surprised, that, like,
0: cons yeah i was surprised that of things that are currently on adult swim like there was actually a few like michiko and hatchin things now which i was surprised mm-hmm. like it's been a show i was like oh this should be more popular it should be on tv here and now it finally is like seven years later however long it's been five <laughs> years that sort of thing was a thing i was trying to be on the lookout for as far as What's the in thing? And yeah, by and large, like the Western media just overshadowed everything.
1: This might be one of the first years in a while that I've not bought any like prints or anything, just because there just wasn't enough that I found. Yeah. There wasn't very much variety, I think, in the artist alley, but maybe that was just me. It was every booth seemed to kind of have the same base of things and then maybe one or two different things.
2: Yeah. yeah, that used to
0: be the problem with the dealer's room because they used to all get from the same distributor, and they still do, I should yeah. say. They all buy from AAA anime
1: distributors. Well, and I mean, look but how, many, how alley... many
2: booths were there in the dealer's room selling swords? Like five?
1: Oh my god, you know? too many. Like, it... Yeah. The dealer's room is just becoming more and more of a disappointment, but I don't know. I'm not into booths or rave gear. And well, yeah, it's the...
2: also like the exchange rate has gone down.
1: And so you you start seeing
0: more interesting things. But the yeah.
2: prices in the dealer's room are still the same as they were before.
0: Right. Like the prices well,
2: haven't gone down, and also like nobody at the dealer's rooms like seems to want to like compete with bargain? online prices.
1: No. So it's like it's...
2: okay, why should I buy this here and then have to fit it into my luggage? I'll just buy it online.
0: Right. Because that's what I was looking at for some of these figures where I'd say, oh, that doesn't seem like too bad a price. And I'd see on Amazon, it's like, oh, it's $50. Surely everyone who's there knows what Amazon is and should be able to like beat them or match them so that you can have it now in your hand kind of thing. But no, that wasn't a concern for a lot of these people. And like I was noticing... For the last few cons we've been going to, a lot of the Attack on Titan type stuff is being marked down. Like, you know, maybe people aren't buying it anymore because it's been a while now and there hasn't been a new season. Whatever it is, that seems to be the only thing where you might be able to get a deal is Attack on Titan stuff. But every time I'd look and I'd see like, oh, here's these figure arts things and what have you. And usually there'd be like no deal. And the only reason you'd buy it there is because it's out of stock everywhere else.
1: Yeah, it's a shame that the dealer's room is virtually just, you go in there, you go to a couple of industry booths and you just skip everything else really, really, because there's no deals. There's not really a lot else. Mm Um, I mean, there used to be one booth every year that just had like some really neat, like weird old stuff and wasn't necessarily cheap, but it was the only place you could buy it in the dealer's room. And that guy has since, you know, stopped coming to conventions. Um, it's a shame. There's no reason to buy the figures there. It's a bunch of these really terrible, like nerd shirt booths and sword booths and rave gear booths and
0: well let me tell you who did give me the deals and the only people i bought from the discotech table always gives you the deal because mm-hmm. they know what they're selling it for on amazon and they'll either beat amazon or match it and you won't have to like wait so right. they're always yeah, awesome i wanted
2: to get robot carnival but they sold out like instantly so yeah, right because
0: gerald took the last one and then oops
2: i also bought
0: from verticals table Eddie Joestar, he cut me a deal because I bought a bunch of the Gundam, the origin volumes I was missing. Part of it was I bought a bunch of them. And part of it is just, you know, you're there at the con that was cheaper than buying it on Amazon also. So I was like, sure, let's go ahead and do this. Although that's the smart thing to do. That's how you virtually everybody there has got a
1: smartphone and can check this shit. Okay. Make it worthwhile.
0: As long as you can get signal because everyone, 26,000 people are all checking their smartphones and a lot of times every single tower in the vicinity gets overloaded and you're screwed. Yeah.
1: But anyway, I think that about does it for Oticon. I like the extra elbow room, but I'm pretty sure Oticon does not. I'm sure that they are going to do whatever they can to remedy that 6,000 fewer people that they had at the convention, because that is a major drop. That is a gigantic drop.
0: Yeah, especially like 6,000 times, you know, a theoretical 75 per person charge. You know, you do the math.
1: That is a lot of money that they didn't get. And so they are probably trying to figure out what happened. Is it something that they can prevent doing? Was it just the news from Baltimore? Who knows? I'm sure that they are uh, trying to remedy that. I'm interested in what they will do next year. certainly an under-exaggeration to say that Dragon Ball is quite popular. The series is probably, say, next to Hello Kitty, one of the most well-known Japanese cultural exports. There are probably, at this point, more people who know about Dragon Ball than even know about ninjas at this point. (laughs) Yeah, and this makes its creator, Akira Toriyama, quite an influential man, to say the least. And while Dragon Ball is certainly his most successful product, if you look at his oeuvre, You'd probably think that Dragon Ball was some sort of weird anomaly, because what he does more of, and what his main forte is, is mostly comedy and gag manga. Series like Dr. Slump, Go-Go-Akman, many many others. Almost everything other than Dragon Ball, I should say the latter part of Dragon Ball, is a gag manga. Toriyama clearly enjoys making people laugh, although I'm sure he's not complaining about Dragon Ball being the standout success. The manga started in 1984, with a TV series in 86, and continued with Dragon Ball Z in 89, Dragon Ball GT, many movies, video games, Dragon Ball Kai, which was a re-edit of Dragon Ball Z, and currently airing is Dragon Ball Super, which for no good reason isn't streaming in America.
0: Yeah, all the people had to figure out how to fansub again, because all the so-called sub groups really aren't subbers at all. They just steal from the legitimate streaming sites and call themselves yeah. subber groups. And so now they're like, oh, fuck, who knows how to translate Japanese? Who knows how to time things? Who knows how to set?
1: We have to get the gang back together. Right. And so so.
0: do it for like Dragon Ball and like that show yeah. about eating food. And that's about it.
1: But, you know, it's very clear that with all of this, Toriyama is keeping himself pretty well fed with Dragon Ball. And Dragon Ball has spread to many other countries. In fact, there are multiple unauthorized live-action Dragon Ball movies that were made in East Asia, and one authorized movie that was made in America. And that American movie, despite being quite successful, is why we are here now. Now, while Toriyama tepidly supported that U.S. movie, it's no secret that he didn't particularly like it.
0: Or anybody, Uh, really.
2: Yeah. Not,
1: not really anybody. In fact, he said in an interview, the script had too little grasp on the world and its characteristics. On top of that, it had conventional content that I couldn't find interesting. So I cautioned them, suggested them to change things. But in spite of that, they seemed to have a strange confidence and didn't really listen to me.
0: What a shock that Fox would take a <laughs> cartoon or comic book and deviate from the source material greatly despite warnings from all fans (laughs) and all creative people involved with it and then they'd put something out and it would be crappy and nobody would go see it and maybe we're seeing this happen
1: again right now as i'm saying this he finishes with what came out was a movie i couldn't really call dragon ball that lived up to my expectations this is coming from a japanese manga author this is really unusual for a Japanese manga author to say this, to say something so blunt. So privately, he must have been like yeah. fuming, absolutely just exploding. It is probably not a coincidence that right after this movie came out, he started working and involving himself more in animated production than he had ever done before. The first Dragon Ball Z animated movie in 17 years came out shortly afterwards. Yeah, you're talking about Battle and of Gods? That was Battle of the Gods.
2: Which was so good.
1: And this was a movie that, again, all other anime that has ever been done that Toriyama had worked on the manga of, all that Toriyama's involvement with was maybe character designs, or he wrote the story in the manga, and that was it. Battle of the Gods, he actually wrote the screenplay for that, and involved himself, you know, in the production, probably because they actually would listen to him there. The Battle of the Gods came out and it had a small but successful theatrical run and it was generally well-received. And uh... It was
0: actually interesting how that one was received because the reputation in Dragon Ball is all about badass dudes fighting and blowing shit up and screaming a lot right yeah and battle of gods was very funny like it was very clear that toriyama's interest is like you said the gag manga aspect of it
1: and i loved that movie because it felt like a dragon ball movie not a dragon ball z movie there was maybe what 10 minutes of fighting in the whole movie? Yeah, there's not a
0: lot of what people who are into Dragon Ball Z would show up for and they'd feel like, oh, what the hell is this? And other people like, no, this is what's awesome. And so there was a bit of a divided reaction in some ways to Battle of Gods.
1: And I'm going to say why that second group is wrong. But anyway, this will bring us to the movie that we're talking about now, which is Dragon Ball Resurrection F, or Resurrection of F, whatever you would like to call right. it. Right,
0: and the F in this case stands for Frieza.
1: There is no spoilers to that. He's on the poster. He's on the poster
0: of it. The marketing gimmick of this one was as if to say to all those people who saw Battle of Gods and were like, oh, where's the action? Well, here's Frieza, the big... Original finale villain of Dragon Ball, back again, resurrected. So this is obviously going to be the one where all the fighting goes down, guys. So go see this movie.
1: Now, I should lay some groundwork here for where I'm coming from. Maybe I'm the best person to be reviewing this movie, or maybe I'm the worst person to be reviewing this movie. But I make absolutely no secret of the fact that I don't really like Dragon Ball all that much. I watched Dragon Ball when it first started airing in syndication on television in 1994, or 5. The this old was dub, the, right? Before they this even... was the old Canadian dub. This was when it was syndicated on Sunday mornings. This wasn't even, like, Fox television. This was well before Cartoon Network even had a deal at this Right,
0: point. it's not even Dragon Ball Z. It's the original Dragon Ball, dubbed by, like, Ocean Group or whoever it was. Yes,
1: And the original Dragon Ball series was kind of charming, you know, fun adventure series, but would be constantly interrupted by all this arena fighting. And the arena finding went on for friggin' forever, and watching one episode week to week didn't move the show along fast enough. For my tastes, that is. Then came the actually popular show, Dragon Ball Z, that is universally loved, and I can't stand this show. The dragged-out nature of the fights, the reused animation, the sameness of the fights, it's one of my least liked shows. Straight up. And everybody seems to point out episodes like, well, the driver's license episode of why, you know, Dragon Ball Z was good. Yes. But I feel like... <laughs> That's
0: one episode out of, like, 200 and it's, change, it's, right?
1: The, the episodes that are not the, like, standing around fighting or yelling about fighting is maybe, like, 5 to 10 episodes of over 300 episodes. And that is not enough to change my opinion of the entire show. And where Dragon Ball Z, in my opinion, falls completely flat is the fighting. Majority of the show is this fighting... And the problem is is that it's Dragon Ball Z is owned by a gigantic company. Yeah, I Toy. think it's
2: just because they dragged everything out so long. Like, there was so much filler. Yes.
1: And it's inexcusable for me. I can't enjoy the show when there's this elephant in the room of this filler. Toei is the cheapest anime company on the planet next to Knack Studios. If a meteorite were heading to Earth, and the only way to save it would be for Toei to create a well-animated show, we would all die. Toy used every trick in the book to make the cheapest animation possible in Dragon Ball Z. And if you want a really good rundown of just how unbelievably cheap the show is, read any Dragon Ball Z review done by Erin Finnegan on Anime News Network. She was writing a column called Shelf Life. She's got a professional animation background. And she has some very, very insightful things to go into as to, like, why the Namek Saga is unbelievably cheap. There's a reason why there's three suns and there's no people on this planet and everybody flies. There's no walk cycles. There's no different backgrounds you have to do. You don't have to say day or night, any of that sort of stuff. It's all designed so that it is unbelievably cheap to do. It's too bad that, that she is never going to be heard from ever again. Nope, we will never see her ever again. That aside, let's talk about... Resurrection F, or Resurrection of F, F people have been calling it. As you guys pointed out, there is no spoiler to say that this is the resurrection of Frieza. He's in the trailer, he's on the poster, every single media of it is about him. And he's possibly the most well-received Dragon Ball Z villain, unless you count Vegeta, because pretty much every other villain that came after Frieza is a horrible villain that everybody talks about with a groan. Like, nobody likes Cell, nobody likes Boo, I like perfect set. The plot of Resurrect F is extremely simple. It's no more complex than most any other Dragon Ball Z movie. That is to say that what is left of Frieza's army is led by a a little guy named Sorbet, who, with the help of these characters Pilaf, Mai, and Shu, who are from the very first original Dragon Ball and have just managed to survive all of Dragon Ball, have collected the Dragon Balls, and with that they resurrect Frieza's body parts, and then put him back together in, you know, this cr- sort of cryo chamber. Right, so sport. for
0: those who don't actually know the premise of Dragon Ball, which is say nobody who is listening to this show, the premise of Dragon Ball Z or any of the Dragon Ball properties is that there are seven items called Dragon Balls. They're all spherical, star-emblazoned things, such that if you gather all seven together, it summons a dragon and you are able to be granted a wish. Once the wish is granted, the balls are dispersed again. You have to gather them once more. So they've done that. It's a
1: very thin premise to sort of hold together this thing. And the Dragon Balls have been gathered 30 times or something. Multiple sets of of
0: different Dragon Balls because they would have to figure out ways to you know, have workarounds for some of the stipulations of the wishes. Like if you wish somebody back to life from the dead, you could only do that once, and then you couldn't ever do it ever again. And then they said, oh, well, we got to get away around this because now someone's died twice. Oh, well, now there's a whole other set of Dragon Balls, and so you can use those to wish this person back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Yeah, the parts you're talking about are the later Dragon Ball series where Toriyama didn't have a whole lot to do with any of the TV series in general, but the original series kind of had, like, a thread of his manga running through it, and then the movies and the later TV series like GT and stuff didn't have anything to do with his manga. Oh, even the Namek stuff,
2: you know. Well, no, yeah, because the other set of Dragon Balls was on Namek.
1: It was really, a lot of it was sort of almost making up stuff as they went along. As all true
0: Um, mangaka of note are notorious for doing along with their editor. But anyway, to get back to your point...
1: They assembled for the Dragon Balls. They wish Frieza's body back to life. Now, Frieza comes back to life and, is, and is, says, you know, my intention is, you know, to get my revenge on Goku and get to Earth. At this time, Goku and Vegeta are training with the character Whis, which sounds strange in English, but Whis is a character from Battle of the Gods and is a pun on the word whiskey, who is the assistant to the previous movie's antagonist, Beerist, which is a pun on the word beer. So you can tell that Toriyama's now an old man. Yeah, because it used to, to always be deer. like
0: named after candy or named after like fruits and vegetables or, you know, Bulma yes. was underwear, I guess, because she's a girl. Yeah. And now it's just all, like, liquor. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> so it's up to the Dragon Ball crew, including... The very welcomed Jacko from Toriyama's manga, Jacko, the Galactic Patrol. That was so
0: interesting when that was coming out. Because for those who don't know, this was like a six chapter thing that Toriyama did. He said, I'm coming back to manga and I'm just doing, do whatever. And so it first started to come out and then everyone was like, what the hell is this crap? This ain't Dragon Ball. This is just like some silly nonsense. And then the very last chapter, it was revealed that it was a prequel To the original Dragon Ball, that the Galactic Patrolman was sent to Earth to intercept Goku as a kid, but something happened. And so now, because it's a new thing and they're making new Dragon Ball stuff, he's now a character in this thing throughout the whole time. And so that was what made people say like, oh, let me go and read this thing
1: now that we know that
0: ties into our precious Dragon Ball.
1: And I'm quite glad that he's there because he's a really great character. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, he's yeah, he's awesome. I, like, I, if you... <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him great. Yeah, greatly. Viz did
0: release that manga entirely. It's collected in one mm-hmm. volume now. You can get it for like $4.
1: And that's the storyline. That's it. That's all you really need to know is that Frieza is resurrected. His army is attacking Earth and Goku and his friends need to stop them. Dragon Ball Z movies have had a bad reputation. Even amongst hardcore Dragon Ball fans, they usually hate the movies. I definitely side with them. The movies have traditionally featured some really terrible antagonist who is tremendously overpowered. 90% of the movie is the good guys just being, like, sadistically beaten up to the point where it's just, like, uncomfortable to watch. Sometimes they're even killed in the movies. And at the very end, the bad guy makes, like, one little mistake, or they just power up and the bad guy just disappears in a fireball. And that's every Dragon You've Ball movie. you just described, however, why I love all these Dragon Ball movies. I think they're mostly terrible. And I chalk a lot of that up to the fact that Toriyama has really never worked on any of the animation hands-on. Battle of the Gods, though, I thought was pretty great. That's because Toriyama worked on it himself. And as we said before, he is far more interested in the characters sort of interacting with each other and being goofy and being fun rather than the fight scenes itself. And so I wasn't sure about Resurrection of F because this seemed like more of a Dragon Ball Z movie, which is not what I'm looking for. But when the first credits came up and it said, you know, storyline and screenplay by Akira Toriyama, I thought, okay, I can go with this. When the characters are talking to each other and interacting with each other, that's where I think this movie really shines. My problems with the movie lie in the fight scenes. Although it's not as bad as, you know, a lot of the previous movies. But even with this movie, even with this widely distributed, this is the first widely distributed animated Dragon Ball Z movie. This is the one that is going out to the world. Even then, Toy cheapens out. I counted like three or four times where there were terrible drops in animation, where characters were really off-model, background characters looked really terrible. The fights, while they were more dynamic than the TV series, still had a lot of the same problems that I have, which is much of the fight is the characters not fighting, but talking to each other about fighting. And then they'd run together, there'd be a couple of punches, and then they would back away and throw a fireball.
2: Well, I think and, that's just kind of the
1: style. Right, of that's what people want. How it works. Uh, th- in- and I know, that's why I'm saying that the fights just don't work for me.
0: Well, there's one thing to say that they're badly done, and then there's one thing to say, like, does it adhere to the style in which people want Dragon Ball to be? To me, I think it isn't Dragon Ball if they're not flying around and teleporting and, like, hitting those, like, knees to the face and then
1: throwing a fireball. Like they, I, feel, I feel like even in this one, the fights were just kind of bland. I mean,
2: I thought they were fine. The only problem I had with it was I didn't like the CG That they'd switch back and forth to?
1: CG was pretty bad as well. Yeah. But again, I chalked that up to just Toy being a bunch of cheapskates. If I've got a better fight scene going on in my head than what I'm watching, then I feel like the the movie hasn't done as good a job as I was hoping. I was hoping for this entire movie that while Frieza was yapping off to Goku, that Vegeta would just come and fucking cold cock him in the face. And that would be the scene that everybody remembered forever. But that never happened. It would also be like a very Ralph Bakshi Wizards finale. That is probably my biggest problem. However. This is where I go with the total opposite of how I feel about all of Dragon Ball Z, and I feel that in spite of those issues that I have, the majority of the movie is actually not that. I still actually like this movie quite a bit. Like The Dragon Ball Z fights weren't awful, I thought they were just kind of boring. They were just sort of typical Dragon Ball Z fights. And the typical Dragon Ball Z fights I find are just forgettable, completely forgettable. Now, when um, you
0: saw this movie, did you see like a late at night or did you see it? Were there like a bunch of kids? Like, how did they take of
1: people. it? It was almost full. And a lot of people seem to I don't know about the people like most of the people. There was one crazy fan like right behind us. who was just losing his shit the entire time. So
0: that's how you know you went to the good showing.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> you have to tell me what kind of shirt was he wearing? Was it a
1: club shirt with trunks I, with a sword? I couldn't see because he had his hands up to his mouth in excitement the entire time.
0: Excitable black guy, white guy. This is important. Fat white guy. Oh, man. That white
1: guy with a neck beard.
0: Not what I was hoping for, but all right.
1: <laughs> I feel like the good parts of this movie, the characters talking to each other, the interaction, far outweighs the bad parts of this movie. If you are a big fan of Dragon Ball... And Dragon Ball Z, you're probably going to like this movie as well, because those typical Dragon Ball Z fights are there. So I'm sure that there's going to be another Dragon Ball Z movie after this. As we speak, the movie made about $2 million in one or two days, and it opened on a Wednesday, which is pretty great for a movie like this. And most theaters were sold out. In fact, the theater that we went to had to open up a second screen to accommodate the showing. I'm really hoping for the next movie that Toriyama will still be the one who is writing it and that toy will be slightly less cheapskatish about the fights. But even then, I actually straight up just recommend this, because even as a person who doesn't care for Dragon Ball, I find that to be quite entertaining.
0: This is one of those things where I sort of feel bad because... They're going to look at this and say, like, oh, wow, this anime stuff does really well. And because of what I was saying earlier, it's really just Dragon Ball that's going to do this well. Like, I know they're going to have, you know, another Naruto movie mm-hmm. and there's going to be, like, probably some other things like that. Because I think maybe before the showing, they have trailers yeah. of other anime movies. Okay. They've so got the Attack on Titan
2: live action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They've got, whole got the a bunch Psycho of
0: things Pass they that I didn't know about. Yeah. And, yeah, none of those things are even going to do a fraction of what Dragon Ball will do. And that's unfortunate. Fortunate, But that's just the way that it all falls together here, just as far as how important Dragon Ball specifically was to people who were like 90s kids or growing up watching things on the Cartoon Network 20 years younger than we are. But I feel like the push for these movies, I believe in the last few years, these Shonen Jump movies have gotten much better. And I think the catalyst for that was really One Mm. Piece. I think they saw... When they had H. R. Oda be much more hands on with the creation of those movies and not kick them out one a year, like how they'd been doing, the results spoke for themselves. They made way more money. They were much better, well received. Then they said, okay, well, that combined with Toriyama kind of wanting to have a do good as far as, no, that ain't the real Dragon Ball Fox. Let me show you how it's done. Right. Then they had these two movies and it's almost a guarantee. That they're gonna make him do another one. And it's probably not even a case where they're making him do it. He's probably wanting to do these ones just because they're a little more screwball than the previous sort of Dragon Ball things
1: have been in the past, especially because of the comedy. Battle of the Gods was interesting because this poster and the title of it would make you suggest that it was all about fighting, and it wasn't.
0: Every Dragon Ball is though. It's that it always looks like it's like this badass guy screaming. That's why you can
1: always spot a fake. When people people, talk about
0: Dragon Ball and only ever talk about that.
1: Yeah, but people were really, not people, but some people were really angry with that, and I thought that was the best Dragon Ball movie, like, ever, Battle of the Gods. And Resurrection of F is probably the second best Dragon Ball movie, I think. Like, I think I liked Battle of the Gods more, and I think that Toriyama has a way of, like, introducing good characters. Almost all the characters that are in Dragon Ball that Toriyama didn't make kind of fucking suck. I mean, Broly, thing. people like that. Broly's
0: awesome. What are you talking about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the strongest
0: but, Super Saiyan. <laughs> Stronger how, than how, Knuckles. How about Faster bi- than Sonic. <laughs> how about Bio-Broly? Bio-Broly. That's the third movie. John um, Nemba, That's my bomb.
2: Good. I like that Janemba movie, though. Oh, yeah, that's the
0: best movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> like,
1: so like good. Uh, but Buris and Whis, I think, are great characters. Yeah, and, and so,
0: of course, they're in Super now as well.
1: Yeah. In total, I liked it. I'm hoping that the third movie is not going to be just all bland fighting, because this one is more fighting, less of the character interaction. So I hope it's not moving in that direction. But Toriyama is one of the very, very few people in the anime or manga industry where what he says goes. It's been pretty well known that his manga, Dragon Ball, was one of the earliest unflipped mangas to be released in America. And the reason for that is straight up, he said... You will not flip my art, and if you don't like that, you don't get my fucking manga. And the manga is released unflipped. Who else can fucking do that except Akira Toriyama? Well,
2: nobody. I mean, between Literally, like the, how successful his manga are and then like the stuff he does character designs for. I mean, yeah, he can pretty much do anything he wants at this point, I'm sure.
1: It's one thing you do like one of the most popular manga that's ever been published and that's turned into the most popular anime ever. And you also do the character designs for one of the most popular video games ever. Yeah, you're talking about Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest, yes. So he can do whatever he wants. I'm sure that it will be whatever he wants it to be. I would have a hard time believing that if they say, you know, make it all about fighting, he says, no, I want to have like some goofy character interaction, like say, okay, you can do what you want, Mr. Toriyama. Like I said, I I think that it's a good movie. You need to watch Battle of the Gods first, because there are characters in Battle of the Gods that their reason for being there is kind of important. As there will be a third movie, I think that there is going to be a setup for them to be used in a greater capacity, and understanding why they're there and what they can do is very important.
0: Yeah. Cause again, normally these movies existed as filler sort of movies that could stand alone from without contradicting anything that was going on in the show. Now that you have Battle of Gods introducing characters who are now in Dragon Ball Super as, yeah. and they just assume like, yeah, you know who Beerus is. All right. That's just because of who's writing it now. I think if you have been watching those movies, you may actually like Dragon Ball Super because it is a lot of screwing around. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where um, it's only been on for about a month, I think. So you just have to go and get it the old-fashioned way because there's no simulcast of it. And there's, for whatever reason, not even a TV deal of it announced yet, which you know surprises me. But I guess it's just because Disney and all the cartoon networks figured they're making way more money on their own stuff Again, the most popular thing at the Anime Con is uh, Cartoon Network
1: original creation. I guarantee that Crunchyroll and them have asked for it. And yeah, they were told no. Probably told either no or they were told like, yeah, it's a billion dollars an episode. I don't know what the deal is, but I know that they asked for it. I'm sure of it. So it's either off the table or whatever reason. So now everybody has to pirate it. Good job, Toy. Whatever you got, you're not going to get right now. But yeah, those are generally my feelings. Like I said, I don't know if this makes me the worst person to review Dragon Ball Resurrection of F or the best person, because if a person who has got my feelings on Dragon Ball can like this movie, I think that that holds pretty well for it. But anyway, what do you guys think?
0: I definitely think these movies have gotten a lot better Mm -hmm. compared to when I was coming up. I actually am looking forward to the next Naruto movie, for example, uh, that movie. Because I read the side story, like the really extended multi-part chapter, (laughs) Seventh and The Scarlet Mm -hmm. Spring, that was like, oh, this is really good. It's one of those things where, you know, you can tell Kishimoto isn't under the gun of like, you got to crank this stuff out and keep this thing going as long as possible. He's like, nope, here's my story, here's my characters. And he's already come up front and said, like, I think like this movie, this Boruto movie is like one of the best things I've ever written. And so... I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll yeah. be good. These Dragon Ball movies, like I said, they've also, the last ones have been very entertaining. I see no reason why it would cease to be that unless Toriyama just decided that he was going to walk away again. But right now he has no manga that he needs to be writing. He just does stuff as he feels like it. Yeah. And so I hope that this is like the trend for a lot of things going forward. It's just, it's too bad that even if that ends up being the case, they're not going to have like the big widespread success that this movie has. It's going to be one night only, probably if it ever comes out in the theater at all. And that's when you have to go see it. Otherwise
1: it's gone. That was how battle of gods was. It was just like in the theater for a day, well, Battle of the Gods had a much shorter run. That had a very limited, very short theatrical run. This one is actually running um, for about a, week, for, for for about about a, a week, week or two. And it's very weird. It's not every day. It's in a lot of areas. It's like it's running on Tuesday or Wednesday or Saturday and Sunday or Monday or something. It's a longer time and more people can definitely go and get to see this.
0: Right. But let's say when the Psychopath movie comes out, it's not going to be granted that same luxury and not as many people are going to see it, even though it's probably still going to be pretty darn good mm-hmm. but that's just how it's gonna end up being i think just for anime in american distribution i like that it's yeah. happening just because we don't have to wait a year this movie came out in japan like maybe a few months ago and now it's already here yeah. i i know the japanese one there was like imax versions of it and stuff and we're not quite there yet but no. um maybe I, if I'm... anything will ever get there it'll be a dragon ball
1: movie i guarantee you that if we saw it in imax it would just look shitty because Toy will not put the money in to animate something in IMAX. It's That's funny because I be look
0: at the, now. I mean, now
1: doing a Google search and it says that they spent five million dollars on this movie, which. That is not a lot of money for a Japanese movie. Look, in, uh, what's it, in 2000, uh, not in 1995 or six, there was 10 million dollars spent on Princess Mononoke. And that is a much smaller studio on not as big a movie. That but isn't is a the Ghost in the cheap, Shell budget is, like th- about that, that is, much. That is a fucking cheap ass amount to spend on your Dragon Ball movie toy. That is a cheap, cheap, cheap amount.
0: Like, let me see. Like, yeah, this wasn't movie the should be fifteen for... or twenty
1: million dollars. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I five wouldn't... million dollars is not, 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 not a, not there. That probably explains why the movie looked certainly when background characters were there and such looked kind of shitty.
0: I wonder how many people the target audience even notices that stuff. That's probably why Toei thinks they can always get away with it. I mean, I think to me, they should be doing much better with some of their current shows now, but they just look so bad, but doesn't seem to be affecting them, at least on the Japanese side. And because otherwise, if it was, they would have done something about it, right?
2: I mean, I have to admit, like, I'm definitely one of those people that's like angry about how shitty Sailor Moon Crystal looks, but for this movie, the only thing that really stood out to me was the CG. I guess I didn't really notice the really like bad off-model oh, stuff for whatever when reason. When we do that
1: bad animation panel again, I'm going to be taking some screenshots from this because those background characters look really bad in background shots. Hmm. I don't know how I noticed, I guess I was maybe looking for it because I'm just so used to toy stuff looking terrible. The CG was better than I expected it to be, but yeah, it did stand out. And it stood out in a way that it shouldn't have because I've seen CG that looks very much better than that in anime. But again, if you only right. spin.
2: Well, it stood out to me because it just was noticeably different from the right. hand-drawn animation. So, like, I could see really obviously when they switched. Right, like Sailor Moon Crystal. It wasn't necessarily that I thought the CG was terrible, although I do think the fire-type effects are not as good in the CG as they are actually when hand drawn, which is the same thing I think in like Crystal where like things like the water oh, effects yeah. and stuff like that look a lot worse in the scene. And CG. if Choi spent
1: the money but on it, it could have looked great. Yeah. Like straight up. If, that's they, true. if they'd spent the money on it and they cared about it, but they don't, because they know that they can get away with it because they're sta- they're not looking for that. But they're so. also eight year olds. There are kids' movies that look better than this though. It does some of the some of the poor animation did disappoint me. Especially for a movie of this caliber.
0: You should write an angry letter to Toei demanding that they make Dragon Ball better or make a YouTube video of you like decked out in Dragon Ball gear.
1: Yeah, screaming yeah, about it? Yeah. That would get my point across, I'm I sure. I think so.
0: I think that's what the next step of AWO needs to be,
1: is, mm-hmm. is to is,
0: conquer YouTube by way of very lengthy missives directed to Toei about not treating Digimon with the proper respect that it deserves.
1: <laughs> well, thankfully, I don't care about Dragon Ball that much. I care about it enough to go see these movies, which I enjoyed but uh, not enough to own any video games or you did give me the uh, the Dragon Ball Rock the Dragon box set <laughs> which
0: that's is... I thought that was like the real like epitome that's... of the concentrated form of the Dragon Ball that exists in people's minds is specifically like that childhood ghetto fabulous version such that any animation transgression once you got past this Rock the Dragon style memory that is burned into people's brain is kind of like accepted as is.
1: Well, I mean, Dragon Ball fans, I'm going to be straight, but they have very low standards. Like they released these Dragon Ball Z Blu-rays a while ago where they knocked off the top and bottom of the screen and they looked terrible. But everybody I know bought them because they were cheap.
0: Well, they continue to do re-releases and there's always arguments back and forth internal to Funimation of, well, do we release it in the original four by three or do we chop off the top and bottom and have it 16 by nine and have it take up the whole screen? And this is a sort of title that historically the full frame one does worse. That, you know, this is like for that Walmart audience, so to speak, to keep it in like slightly less diplomatic terms who they, they want to see it that way and they, will object to saying, hey, how come there's big black bars on the side of the picture? That's a problem for them.
1: Which I think is ridiculous because every TV series older than like seven to ten years looks like that. Every TV series. And yet they complain about that. But I don't know. Like I said, we know a lot of people who bought those terrible Blu-rays And I would never, like, touch those things. Again, I think the Dragon Ball audience has got very low standards for their material like this. Like, it's just straight up, as long as it has these sorts of characters doing this sorts of thing, it's acceptable. It's kind of like Moe, only with power beams. Moe, very much so, yeah. As long as there's cute girls not doing anything. Well, no, now it's big, muscly guys threatening to fight. (laughs) Threatening to fight, right. Anyway, that is Dragon Ball Z Resurrection of F. If it is playing in your area, go and see it. By the time
0: Uh, this comes out, it will not be still playing in your area. (laughs)
1: It'll probably not be playing. But if you can see it, I highly recommend it. It is definite. The first half or three quarters is definitely fun. It doesn't get bad after that point. It's just not necessarily as good as the the first part of it, I think.
0: Unless you like the fighting and that's when it's like, Oh, it's awesome. They blew up the planet again.
2: Yeah, but I think even like with the fight scenes, like the character interaction is still... That's
1: what I mean is... Exactly right. what it should be. It's still so. there. That's that's why I didn't hate those parts. The characters still were talking, still were doing things. I'm just like, oh, there's this layer of this lame-ass fight happening as well. And so I don't think I, it's
2: actually any worse than like most of the combat in the giant robot shows that you like or whatever. So Some of those are, are pretty
1: bad, too.
0: <laughs> All I know is if you didn't like that part where Goku did that one-inch
1: heart punch to Frieza, I don't even know you, man. That is Resurrection of F. Possibly one of the best Dragon Ball things that I've seen, actually. Let us know what you think of that as well. 139 of Anime World Order. If you have any issues or any questions, email us at yeah, excuse
0: World me, but in a in history, you distinctly said 19 frames in the second <laughs> season, and I have under 30 for
1: my uh, uncle. I, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to those, very much so. Email us at AnimeWorldOrder at gmail.com. Check out our website at AnimeWorldOrder.com. Do we have something
0: planned for next time? I do. Uh, I do have something planned for next time, as a matter of fact, uh, though I'm not yet sure when it will be, but Anime Festival Orlando, as we record this, is next week. So uh, I'm going to be getting ready for some panels to do there. But then after that, I am honor bound, as I should say, to review a series that uh, was chosen for me. that was foisted upon me. And I'll go into the whole story about how that came to be in that episode. But I <laughs> will be reviewing Bento, which, as you may guess, is about boxed lunches.
1: I have and seen one... <laughs> getting into
0: fights over boxed lunches. Me, I, I have seen an specific. episode of
1: that show. I... Uh... I can understand why you would have never watched it under any other circumstances. I'm
0: going to watch the whole show,
1: and we're going to talk about it. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. So uh, until next time, guys, uh, we are out.